0: We are here on the week of December 9th for the Race Capital Reframe with me, Kalia Harris. Me,
1: Naomi Isaac. And me, Chelsea higgs
0: And we are going to dig right into local news. Starting off with our eviction watch. There are 141 unlawful detainers in the courts this week. Thursday is our heaviest day with 83 unlawful detainers. Just a reminder that unlawful detainers are one of the first steps that a landlord takes to evict tenants. Last week, there were 169, 122 the week before, and 405 the week before that, bringing the total unlawful detainers in the last four weeks alone to 837. As many protections at the federal level lessen or disappear over the next few weeks, we will continue to keep an eye on these numbers. In COVID Watch, are y'all ready? I don't know if I'm ready. It is what it. We got 15.1 million cases nationwide and 285,000 deaths. In Virginia, 263,000 cases and 4,260 deaths. This comes as Monday saw the third day in a row in Virginia of more than 3,000 cases of COVID 19 being reported. What? Yeah, I remember, I feel like two weeks ago, I was like reporting that we were under 4,000 and now we're well above it.
2: Right. I was saying it looks like hundreds a week that we're going up at this
0: point. Sabrina Moreno from the Richmond Times-Dispatch reports that Black residents in Richmond are being hospitalized with COVID-19 at more than five times the rate of white residents, according to state data, despite the fact that both groups account for roughly equal shares of the population of the city. The city's disparity is outpacing the nation's disparity. The CDC reported last week that the national average is three point times higher for Black than whites, and remembering that ours is five times higher. We know that hospitalizations are a sign of the spread. So the more that they're filling up, the less that we're able to actually help folks with the virus and other life-threatening conditions.
2: That makes me pretty speechless, Kalia, to be really honest. And as we continue to talk about the COVID impact, The GRTC, Richmond's public transportation system, is seeing major delays due to employees quarantining for exposure to the virus. On December 6th, they released a press statement that said at least six employees are currently quarantining race capital, we were actually reached out personally with the pictures that we have not shared yet because we want to protect the GRTC driver, but they're pictures of people on the bus, not social distancing, and this particular driver was told to continue forward. They were also unmasked, and this is now what the GRTC drivers that are showing up or having to do, are take pictures and document what they are being told.
1: It reminds me, I was riding the bus recently, and I saw this exact thing, people not wearing masks masks. And, you know, the bus service itself puts on a message that puts all the responsibility of these operators in the hands of the riders. Meanwhile, they're not providing the means to protect the operators throughout the city or decreasing people's need to transport themselves to go get essential
0: items. It's a mess, y'all. It's a public health disaster. Right. And these
2: disparities happening in Black communities are obviously not just because we don't keep ourselves healthy. As Naomi just pointed out, experiencing this just to get to where you're going. And because there are no other way to get there or have your needs met, um, this is what Black Richmonders are having to experience. And Kalia, I'm still really blown away that the Richmond disparity outpaces the nation in covid
1: I mean, what can be said when we have, you know, one of the largest housing crisis in in the nation? This is what you see. We have seen that houseless folks are the primary victim of COVID-19 because they have no methods of quarantining. And what do we get when we don't protect the houseless? In other news, the Virginia Department of Health says that due to high case volumes and community transmission, the local health department will prioritize contact tracing only for certain groups and may not be able to contact everyone who has COVID in the state due to capacity.
0: When I read this news, it just really sent like a a pain (laughs) to my body because we know from other countries that the most successful responses have very robust contact tracing. So, our officials are saying they can't even reach out to the folks who currently have the virus. We would want to see that contact tracing would. You know, impact folks that don't have the virus to make sure that they can prevent it. This is just showing that not only is the spread out of control, but so is our ability to respond to it. And we should all be concerned to hear that.
2: And health experts are warning that early vaccinations will not drastically control the spread of the virus. In a press release Friday, the State Department of Health announced that they expect to receive around 480,000 doses of COVID-19 vaccines. By the end of this month. Previously, Governor Ralph Northam said the state would receive 70,000 doses of the first shipment. The state followed CDC guidelines in selecting healthcare workers and long-term care residents as the highest priority targets for vaccinations. VDH estimates 500,000 people comprise those groups. Brian Lewis, a computational epidemiologist at the University of Virginia, says that's an intentional part of the distribution design. Quote, what we're really trying to do with the first doses is protect the people who need to be protected the most." End quote. He said, quote, "The first shipments of the vaccine are mainly targeting saving lives, allowing the hospitals to function." End quote. And as you said, Kalia, if the hospitals can't function, that actually decreases our ability to protect others from the virus.
1: Is there any mention of, again, houseless folks or incarcerated people because we know that these are the COVID outbreaks and if they don't receive treatment, then it's going to fail.
2: The headline of this story, Naomi, is actually that these first rounds of the vaccine will not help stop the spread of the virus. So, of course there was no mention of those folks. Well,
1: lastly in local COVID-19 news, at least 5 restaurants in the greater Richmond area have been subject to permit suspensions this week for violating Governor Ralph Northam's new COVID-19 restrictions according to the Virginia Department of Health. This is really no surprise to me. I don't know if anyone has gotten fast food during COVID, but we've seen from the start up until recently even as it's getting worse, that, you know, these restaurants are not enforcing rules and regulations. And it's, I mean, apart to just being due to the fact that they shouldn't be open and, you know, they're they're suffering so much stress and strain that, you know, it's easy to let these things slide because you're trying to get things done.
0: Yeah, I mean, anyone who's walked down Carytown on Saturday would probably not be surprised to know that there are more folks violating the governor's laws
2: Didn't we just report a story a couple of weeks ago about restaurants having violations? So, I mean, we've got a COVID watch, a eviction watch. Maybe we need to start seeing how many of these establishments are getting proper violations. I really want to
1: like, just focus again how this comes down to the government the local government and the state government the national government's inability inability to supply people with their needs you know they don't decrease our dependency on needing food because they don't bring us anything so people constantly have to go out to these restaurants and i just you know want people to think again about how in other countries they were getting food in in uh health packages like delivered to them and that's what they were using their militaries and their and their officers for and we decided to arrest more people
0: Mm -hmm. An apartment fire at Rolling Wood Apartments in Chesterfield County has caused significant damage, sent two people to the hospital Monday afternoon, and has affected 12 units, displacing 12 families and 17 children. Local activist and sister of Marcus David Peters, Princess Blanding, has filed paperwork with the state for a run for governor. She joins Jennifer Carroll Foy and Jennifer McClellan to be the third Black woman running for governor in 2021.
2: Delegate Jennifer Carroll-Foy announced on Tuesday that she will be stepping down from her House of Delegates seat ahead of the General Assembly session in January to focus on her gubernatorial campaign. This move will allow her to begin fundraising during session. In her district, community leader Candy King has announced she is running in a special election that will take place on January 5th. So really on top of the special election that is happening on January 5th, just a little procedural note that that means that the Democratic committee up in that district is having a firehouse election this weekend, just in a couple of days to get this going and, and ensure that they are ready for that special election. So many Many opinions about this choice from Delegate Carol Foy.
0: I mean, I love to see a Black woman committed to the grind. So I hope that it comes with great results. We're only doing a 30-day General Assembly anyway.
2: I would be shocked at how much we truly get done in 2021 General Assembly. But I also don't want to
0: jinx us, So, In other governor news, y'all, as we expected, T-Mac, Terry McAuliffe, our former governor, is expected to announce his official bid for the governor's race today, Wednesday. Cue the crowd boo. boo. I am so sick of these Democrats just acting
1: like we only can choose them. They are running everything, and people don't see these monarchies that are happening. But I, I'm really sick of people coming back and saying, "Oh yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have a third term with me," or you know, "You're gonna have another term with me." Like
0: we didn't like you the first time. Exactly. One thing I learned this year is that governors can't run for back to back terms. So that's my little civics 101 for our listeners, because I was wondering why he didn't run, you know, immediately after he had his last term. And it turns out he couldn't. So
2: I'm also here for the T. Thank you for the civics lesson. But Kalia, he also would not have run consecutively anyway because T Mac wanted to run for president in 2020 and had to take a seat back and just settle for an MSNBC commentator. But anyway, I digress.
1: I did not forget
0: that. <laughs> I remember the North, or in this case, the South remembers. <laughs> Lastly, in local news, so-called affordable housing in Virginia is amongst the most vulnerable in the country to flooding and sea level rise, according to a new national study by the nonprofit Climate Central. The Commonwealth ranks fourth behind New Jersey, New York, and Massachusetts, with nearly 1,500 affordable housing units that could be at risk of flooding by 2050. Much of the housing is in Norfolk and Portsmouth. Can anyone say climate change violence?
1: And this is news that they've known for years that they continue to ignore, which is going to affect a lot of people's housing insurance and just displacement generally. And who's going to be hit first? Black and
2: Indigenous communities. And which communities are going to be opened up for that new economic development they're just waiting on?
1: And this is why it's so important that Black and brown people are at the front of climate justice, because we're the ones going to be having to deal with it first and are already experiencing it nationally. Speaking of national news, USA Today reported that the largest sources of COVID outbreaks in Illinois comes from local, state, and federal jails and prisons. In October, Illinois had surpassed over 300,000 COVID cases. The Cook County Jail had 1,074 cumulative cases as of September 30th, the largest count of any site that had an outbreak.
0: We talk a lot about death by incarceration, with life sentences or the death penalty. But what we're not talking about is the amount of people that are dying inside who were sentenced now to die from this virus.
2: And in Cook County Jail, I suspect it's a lot like Richmond City Jail, where many of those folks aren't even convicted of anything.
1: Hello. It's murder. Speaking of murder, over 80% of the deaths from COVID-19 have occurred in people over 65. If this present trend continues, it is predicted that 450,000 Americans could die of COVID-19. And if those deaths follow the same pattern as we've seen so far, that will mean 360,000 elders killed before the spring due to a a preventable uh, cause of death, frankly.
0: I am shocked that it says by this upcoming February, almost half a million people. We are
1: going to lose an entire generation and that is the fault of our government and their inability y'all
0: that sorry that that is too much as news of the united kingdom distributing their first doses of the pfizer vaccine have hit the news this week trump held a quote-unquote vaccine summit at the white house on tuesday pfizer and moderna the leading pharma companies making the vaccine declined to attend this summit this comes as news that the trump administration rejected pfizer's summertime offer of over 400 million doses of the vaccine, meaning that other countries were able to buy them before the United States.
1: So how did he hold a vaccine summit without the leaders of the vaccine? Who who was there? What did they
0: discuss? That's what I would like to know.
1: In other news, the United States confirmed more than 200,000 new coronavirus infections on Monday and more than 1,500 new deaths, capping the deadliest week of the U.S. outbreak since April. Nearly 16,000 people have died of COVID-19 across the U.S. in the last week, and public health officials warned the worst could be yet to come. They say that the country is shattering records every day and that December and January will be bleak.
0: Yeah, I know that we're getting fatigue from these numbers and that it can be very numbing to hear these records every day, but I just want to break that monotony to our listeners to understand that this is unprecedented and that we should be taking it seriously. Obviously, our administration isn't.
1: The Washington Post is reporting that nearly 12 million people will owe an average of $5,800 in rent and utilities by January. Families with children are faring even worse. This just breaks my heart because I, almost every person I know in my life right now is struggling with bills. And I've never, you know, I've never really had that. It's always been like, if my family's struggling, we're struggling. But like now it's everybody needs a dollar. Everybody needs a loan. And it's really scary just to watch it happen and unfold.
0: This is happening while the Congress is talking about this coronavirus relief bill, that's $908 billion, which is comparable to the NYPD's police budget, which is just ridiculous. It doesn't include direct payments to people, and it decreases the unemployment benefits that folks are receiving weekly. So, you know, that's, that's really concerning. And also the, the amount of time that they took to agree on it means that there might be a lapse in benefits for people It's
1: just disgusting even to think of, you know, when they teach us in history class, what they would do during World War II, you know, literally for mass destruction of the earth and its people, that they would put everything on hold so that they can make sure that that, uh, you know, that they succeeded and they don't care enough about preserving life, that they would put everything on hold to just make sure that they can come up with a feasible solution so that we don't all die and waste away. And it's just really sad to to witness
2: the White House Coronavirus Task Force warned governors around the United States that people under 40 years old who traveled for the Thanksgiving holidays should just assume they're infectious and dangerous to others. Boom.
0: They should just assume it.
2: Just just assume it. And I mean, again, after listening to these numbers, listening to what ha- what's happening, we need to just assume the worst everywhere. And if you went anywhere for Thanksgiving, quote, assume you are infectious and a danger to others. Speaking of infectious and dangerous, Rudy Giuliani, Trump's campaign lawyer and former mayor of New York, has the Rona. Not only that, but the entire Arizona legislature announced a week-long closure following his positive test because he was meeting with state GOP legislators maskless beforehand. No mask. All the meetings. The entire Arizona state GOP legislature. I mean,
1: I don't know what they want at this point. I don't know what they're asking for at this point.
2: Y'all, they said F it, mask off. Look, okay, so on a real serious note, not that we haven't been talking about serious, but this really blew me out of the water, y'all. Out of Florida, law enforcement agents searched the home of a former state data scientist, Rebecca Jones, this past Monday, entering her house with weapons drawn as they carried out a warrant as part of an investigation as investigators tried to learn who sent a chat to a planning group on an emergency alert platform, urging people to speak out publicly about Florida's coronavirus strategies. The Florida Department of Health is the agency that fired Jones this past May after she helped create the state's COVID-19 dashboard. Jones had said she lost her job after she refused requests to manipulate data to suggest Florida was ready to ease coronavirus restrictions. Her home was raided and guns drawn with her family inside, y'all. So after she was fired, she went in and made her own dashboard, y'all, and that's when they came after her.
0: Come on, And peep how they came at her. They came in guns drawn in front of her family. This is a white scientist out of Florida. So they use the same tactics that they use on black people every day. And not even on no conspiracy-ish.
1: You can look into it. You know, there have been many scientists, many uh, reporters, you know, who become targets of the state just for speaking out against the violence that they're plotting on, like evil villains in the background. And so uh, I'm not surprised, but I'm definitely still scared. Following up on a story out of Philly, a Black mother who was attacked by a horde of Philadelphia police officers is now speaking out about her experience. Rekia Young was driving an SUV with her two-year-old son and teenage nephew on October 27th, as the city was engulfed in protests over the police killing of Walter Wallace Jr. earlier that day. Officers broke the windows of her vehicle, assaulted and arrested her in front of her child, and the arrest went viral. The National Fraternal Order of Police, the country's largest police union, posted a photo of her two-year-old son on social media, falsely claiming he was, quote, lost during the violent riots in Philadelphia, wandering around barefoot in an area that was experiencing complete lawlessness, end quote. More than a month after the police attack, Rakia Young is demanding the officers involved be fired, quote, the police have not offered an explanation as to why they acted the way they did that night. They responded instead with a police investigation into Rikia. end quote, says Kevin Mincy, Rekia Young's attorney.
0: And water joined gold, oil, and other commodities traded on Wall Street, highlighting worries that the life-sustaining natural resource may become scarce across more of the world. Farmers, hedge funds, and municipalities alike are now able to hedge against or bet on future water availability in California, the biggest U.S. agriculture market and the world's fifth largest economy. For context, the entire country of El Salvador is slated to run out of water within the next 80 years. So what's next? Air?
2: Yo, y'all should see my face right now. We split up the news. I don't always read the articles, but my face.
1: What? No, you're right. I'm horrified. I mean, <laughs> you know, I always think about how there's probably a trillion other planets in this universe that could have living civilizations. We're probably the only out here doing stuff like this. Who is how- buying? Why? 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 Why do they have to be so evil?
2: We about to run out of water and they trading it on the stock market, bruh. That means the richest people
0: will have water
1: how can anybody believe in capitalism? How can anybody believe that there is good capitalism when they out here selling water?
0: I'm just saying, get your oxygen
1: tanks now. Oh my God. Moving into international news, human rights campaigners in Zimbabwe protested a police order warning social media users against participating in what the state has described as, quote unquote, cyber bullying of government officials. In its statement on Monday, the Zimbabwe Republic police said arrests were imminent for unarmed suspects who have been, quote, issuing threats and harassing government officials, unquote, on social media. This comes as Zimbabwe is experiencing a vicious economic crisis, in part due to Western sanctions.
0: Last week, it was France with their bill. This week, it's Zimbabwe. It's a trend here of how they're passing this legislation. And in Venezuela, President Nicolás Maduro has claimed victory in parliamentary elections. Turnout was unusually low, as just over 30% after opposition leader Juan Guaido called for a boycott of the election. Maduro is calling on incoming President Joe Biden to abandon the U.S.'s interventionalist agenda in Venezuela and drop all sanctions. Finally, out of Guatemala, on November 10th, two unidentified individuals shot Mario Ortega outside of his home in the capital city. Following the attack, Mario Ortega was transferred to a local hospital where he remained in intensive care until he died on November 14th. According to these reports, he was a local reporter and journalist in Guatemala since 1992, at least six journalists have been killed in direct relation to their work according to research done by the Committee to Protect Journalists, also known as CPJ. A CPJ report published earlier this year found that journalists outside of Guatemala City, the capital, often face aggressive harassment for their coverage of local issues. Protests continue on in Guatemala as they demand the resignation of their current president and a new budget. And that's all today for the Race Capital Reframe.
2: You're listening to Race Capital on WRIR LP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. Stay tuned as we dive into our interview with Michelle Browder with I Am More Than, as she gives us an insight look into the newest project out of the other fallen capital of the Confederacy, Montgomery, Alabama, as we highlight the mothers of gynecology, Anarka, Lucy, and Betsy. Stay tuned.
3: From shore to shore. Women cooked all your food and washed all your clothes. With pig cotton and laid the railroads deal.
2: You're listening to Raise Capital with me, Chelsea Higgswise, and this week we are excited for Michelle Browder to join us all the way from another fallen capital of the Confederacy, Montgomery, Alabama. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
2: So Michelle from I Am More Than is a beautiful spirit that I met a few years ago when I came to visit Montgomery and you were one of the people that everyone said I had to meet, I had to take the tour And I will say it was honestly the ancestors that made sure that I did not leave Montgomery again without (laughs) doing one of your tours. Our flight was canceled and you just showed up being in your space, being in your community. And someone said, this is her. And then you said, you know what? I got time. And you took a (laughs) ten. And you were able to give us that tour right then and there. And it was just the spirit, the welcomeness, and just the energy you brought right then. I'm so grateful to still be in community with you now in 2020 and see what you are doing there in the Deep South. So welcome to Race Capital. Thank you. Um, Tell us a little bit about I
4: Am More Than... First of all, thank you so much for having me on your wonderful show. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I am more than started about 10 years ago where uh, we organized trips for young people on, you know, in these underserved communities to get outside of their immediate community and just experience something other than the typical norm. right? Mm-hmm. So we took uh, we organized a trip to the United States Supreme Court uh, to watch a dynamic individual and his awesome team of attorneys argue Evan Miller versus Alabama. And we call that tour like the I am more than tour. And it just stuck for my students, right? And so we just, we started this initiative called I am more than where we want, or we want to challenge people to look at young people through a different lens in terms of especially young Brown and black kids. Yes. So we took a group of students, it was about 56 of them uh, to the United States Supreme Court to witness a court case that was argued. By Brian Stevenson, it was Evan Miller versus Alabama, and I thought this would be a great time to take these young people because it was a case that was, you know, challenging the constitutionality of sentencing children to die in prison or sending at the age of thirteen and fourteen years old, or the constitutionality of it. And I've oftentimes spoke to my students about, you know, how our consequences, you know, whenever whatever you do, for every action there's a reaction, right? And so it was just a great time, and so we went to this court case, but to see the young people engage, these young people had never been outside of Montgomery, Alabama, had never been inside a courtroom other than being sentenced,
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, and then had never seen a Black man argue a case. And so to see the light go off in their eyes, it was just something that was riveting. So on our way back to the Montgomery, Alabama, most of these students, we had conversations about how can we be more? You know, how do we do more? How can we be more effective in our, in our households? And, and a lot of them lived in um, uh, what we call the projects, you know, they lived in the hood. So we, uh, we debriefed about our meeting or our trip to the United States Supreme Court in the hood. And so one of the things that they said was that we want more, we want more up. And that was something that our students, you know, so it, they coined the phrase and here we are 10 years later, I am more than we're celebrating 10 years, but we're doing it in a creative place making type of setting. Um, and so, yeah, so that's how it all started and, and we're still thriving and hosting community events and creating art and giving tours. I was mm-hmm. going to say
2: what, the way that you are engaging, particularly through art, storytelling, and like you said, place making, uh, you, there were little drops of you and, and not not necessarily your presence specifically, but the I am more than presence all over Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And, and that was just really telling to me as someone that had been there a couple of times and, and was there to really feel the stories. Um, so I have to ask, tell us a little bit about you, about Michelle, how did you even get into the mm-hmm. space to pouring into young people like this?
4: Growing up in the rural South, um, you know coming from denver colorado where my next door neighbors was a group of the kensietas at night it was mr and mrs Bookthong. it was a very diverse community into the south just after you know segregation had ended or integration had started living in the south next to the kuka's clan you know my father refused to let us feel like we were less than you know he refused to let us uh, fall into the stereotypes of young black kids growing up in the rural South. And so I watched him provide opportunities and create events to expose young people around me and my friends, or not even my friends, but just young black kids living in the same community that didn't have opportunity to go to Atlanta or DC or Philadelphia. And my father created those experiences for us. And it just, I I got it from him. And he was the first black prison chaplain that was appointed by George Wallace. I got those stories from him, the stories of being resilient. And so I would have to say it's, it's part of my DNA uh, mm-hmm. to work with young people. And it's been my life's work for the past 30 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you talk
2: about your work specifically, what does that look like as yeah. a, a black woman business owner? What is, has what this growth and this journey been like for you?
4: Yeah. You know, growing up again in the rural South where I was kicked out of school constantly uh, for fighting. I didn't like being called the N word, the B word. I didn't understand what it was. You know, why are you calling me that? That is not who I am. And as an artist, you know, I, my father uh, gave me eight tubes of paint and some T-shirts one day because I got suspended from my last suspension. And he said, you're not going to sit here and watch for you all day. I want you to take time to think about your life and what you're going to do with it and how you're going to make your mark on this planet. He said, because if not, I'm going to find you in Tutwiler. And Tutwiler Prison is a mm-hmm. prison here in Montgomery, Alabama with all women's prison. And I had been there with him because I'm a daddy's girl. I would go to the prisons with my father. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to you know, waste my life in and out of prison because I can't control myself. So what I started doing was um, uh, creating artwork from the t-shirts. That my father gave me during my suspension, and it turned into entrepreneurship. I've always had my own business. I've always been able to use my work, um, my my artwork, as a way to uh, live. And so I find it now in in my work today, in terms of storytelling. Uh, if you want to, if you want to remember, or you know, I call it regurgitation. I regurgitate everything that I learn onto a canvas, and a lot of it, um, you know, again, has been used. Uh, Several places, including here in Montgomery, but it's just um, it's it's just a tool that I've been using to either cope or to get a message across in storytelling.
2: Mm -hmm.
4: So yesterday was
2: a pretty big day for you. Tell Race Capital listeners a little bit about your most recent work.
4: Learning about the history of Montgomery, the iconography. You know, Mm -hmm. I've been studying it for a long time, and there are three women in our history, actually there are 11 um, that's been noted, but three in particular that were experimented on um, numerous times by James, Mary and Sims. And I've always wanted to elevate and amplify their voices. Mm -hmm. And so there's only one way to do it, especially now in this era where everyone is talking about, you know, removing statues, you you should know, because you all are are right there in the heart of it. And I said, you know, I don't want to focus my energy. I'm not going to pay the state $25,000 to remove a statue that they put up. Hmm. What we would like to do is to erect the mothers of gynecology. So if you're a woman, if you've had a pat smear, you need to thank Anarcha, Lucy and Betsy and the, the other mothers. So right now, my work today is to create a public art that speaks to the pain, the anguish, but also the resiliency of these women. Mm-hmm. and that's what happened on yesterday. We un- unveiled our plans, the space where they will uh reside hopefully f- until the next era.
2: Okay, so let's break down everything that you just said to make sure that we're following. What you're you're doing right now is truly retelling not just a, a US story, but a story worldwide that's impacted women. You mentioned women that were experimented on and you said some names, Anarcha, Betsy, and Lucy. Can you tell us a little bit more about these women?
4: Yeah, they were enslaved. And typically during the time of enslavement, uh, these women, especially Antarctica, they were young women, right? They were, some of them were teenagers, just children at the time. So with Antarctica, with enslaved women, you know, they were subjects, but they were also sexual subjects. So a lot of them had been raped and they were becoming pregnant. And so Ann being 17 years old was brought to James Marion Sims, which was a doctor uh, that would use experimentations to try to cure what is called a vaginal fistula, which was a tear in the bladder and the vagina, and it, it would cause a leakage.
2: You mentioned that James Sims was the doctor that experimented on these women. And this is why it's so important that you're retelling this story, because right now he's known as the father of gynecology, correct?
4: Right. Absolutely. But in essence, what he was. He tortured these women. Right. I account I, I him to be that of Frankenstein, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the doctor of Frankenstein, um, where he would have dreams about procedures that he could use and literally would get up in the middle of the night and go to the backyard of his house and find one of these women and would experiment on them. You know, he would dream about how could I fix this fistula, right? And he would get up, go find the women and commence to trying to take his idea and make it so. And
2: so you're saying that these women were enslaved under his watch we and, absolutely, and they were accessible to him for mm-hmm. medical experimentation. What year was this happening?
4: From the 1840s until about 1855, until right. when he started his hospital in New York remembering the time
2: for our listeners that this is the time of enslavement. And I would yes. imagine these women did not have anesthesia with these types of procedures. Oh,
4: absolutely, not. absolutely not. And that's why it was torturous.
2: Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about, about these women. Um, well, and it, and to also give a, a little bit more of a picture for the listeners that these women were experimented on multiple times without anesthesia.
4: Yes. Without anesthesia. Right. Um, and I'm sorry because I'm so excited about being able to amplify their voices that sometimes I do forget that it was the anesthesia. You know, I, I liken it to um, yesterday, I talked about how, you know, for the men, for you to understand what we're trying to say is imagine being circumcised, the foreskin being peeled off of your private parts
3: mm-hmm.
4: without anesthesia mm-hmm. as a grown man. Because, you know, they do that to them as children. Right, But if you're a grown man experiencing that, if you could imagine that type of pain.
2: But you you mentioned later on in his practice, he moved to New York. My understanding is that, and what it appears to be, and tell me if I'm wrong, that he exploited these women. He quote unquote, perfected the procedure and then ran up to the North to provide it Mm -hmm. to
4: rich, Mm -hmm. wealthier white women. Absolutely. But he also continued his research on immigrant women. So anything that's, you know, that you could discard mm. basically, mm. but yet we celebrate.
2: And he has, uh, he had several monuments up across the United States, as again, mentioned and celebrated as the father of gynecology. So now we have mm-hmm. Michelle Browder down in Montgomery celebrating a different message and, and different leadership and different stories when we're talking about how, We really came about to save ourselves.
4: Yeah. The launch yesterday, I'm still a little weepy, like everyone that was there. Yeah. So members of the community were there. Um, Mayor Stephen Reed, the first black mayor of Montgomery came, gave a wonderful speech. Uh, We had county, you know, Montgomery County commissioners that came, the only female commissioner basically said that she was going to support the project and that we would get more support as time goes. And then, but my students, I have this one student who, by the way, is homeless. And um, she called me, she was like, you know, I, want, I really want to get involved with some things. So she's an opera singer. And when I tell you this young lady saying, how did we get here? We opened up with a song by Fanny Lou Hamner, who sung, uh, it was a recording, the songs that my mother taught me. And we opened up with that song and you know, Fannie Lou and it was so poignant because she was, uh, there was a first forced sterilization on Fannie Lou. So we wanted her, we wanted to usher in her presence uh, because she too has suffered, you know, under uh, this thing called white supremacy. And it was just a beautiful day. You could feel the ancestors, you could feel their presence. It's a holy and sacred ground. And there was not a dry eye. We look forward to Mother's Day of 2021. The erection of Mothers of Gynecology.
3: Mm.
2: Um, what is the rise of the Mothers of Montgomery really going to look and feel like?
3: Mm.
4: Well, you can go online and, and take a look at it at an arca lucy And that's B E T S E Y. So, the look of the monument 15 feet tall along with bricks that will uphold her. So in the the bricks, some of the bricks that we are interfacing into the designs are bricks that were made by enslaved African women um, during the 1850. Um, And so the monuments themselves are made out of found art or uh, found objects, metal. And so they will be welded together, but the facial features are definitely that of black women And Arca has been noted to be, as they call Blotto. So she was of mixed race. And she has braids in her hair. And the facial features is that of her looking up with this agonizing pain on her face. But yet, you see the hope. You could feel the hope. And so, and Arca, Lucy, and Betsy, all of them have very strong features. But again, the piece is going to be made out of found objects. We're going to different recycling places to find them. And then our lead consultant is uh, Dana Albrecht. She's out of San Francisco and she's a Burning Man artist. I don't know if you've ever heard of Burning Man before, but they have this big festival every year and she's going to, you know, bring some pieces that we've acquired to Montgomery and we're going to assemble them and we're welcoming women to come and be a part of the welding process. And so if you have something Uh, that your mother had or something that you that's sacred to you that you want to memorialize people are going to be able to bring metal objects and we'll weld them into the bodies of these women so it's really quite incredible
2: what an amazing opportunity for so many people to engage in such a permanent fixture that is going to mean so much to so many people tell us a little bit about where the monument is going to be located
4: so it's interesting, interesting that you say that because it's located literally two blocks from the National Memorial of Peace and Justice. Um, and then about a mile and a half from where Anarca was held captive on the plantation. It's called the, the Westcott's Plantation. So she, w- the uh, monument will face in the direction of the monument, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, and also uh, where the plantation where she lived Uh, as an enslaved woman.
2: And for folks that may not immediately recognize the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, that is the lynching memorial that most folks uh, otherwise known it as. Um, And Mm -hmm. also uh, EJI is run by Brian Stevenson, who Michelle mentioned earlier. So it sounds like, Michelle, you have been working for a long time in space that has been working on its own for a long time that we know in history, but even, even today, and I'm so excited to have you on and tell you how you are doing that. So continue to tell us a little bit about the space as well.
4: Yes, the space is so this is a three phase project, Uh, the first phase of the project is to erect this monument. um, In honor of the mothers, but then there's also a second phase so on the property, we have a space where people can actually come stay for a week stay for two weeks learn this history bring your retreats bring students to, to really get a Highlander school type of experience. And when I say Highlander School, that's the school where Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, you know, Abernathy, this is a place where people would go to be fed, nourished, and taught the spirit of nonviolence. And we want to create that here as well. Because once you're out there, you know, you're on the front lines, you're talking about marijuana justice, you're talking about, you know, you have your causes, but then sometimes we're disappointed when we do see the AG uh, letting murderers go. So you need to be recharged, you need to be refreshed. So there's a place here on campus that will have that for folks come here get rejuvenated and then there's a resource center also so there's it's three phases but this is just one phase that we're trying to um uh, let the world know about and how people can be a part of that and then we'll go on from there but it's called the more campus and you know it's it's gonna be a sacred space for people to heal, to acknowledge, to reckon with this history and then also be empowered to keep going, keep up the good fight.
3: Hmm.
2: So Michelle, tell us why now, why are you doing this right now?
4: Well, it seems like the time is right. You know, so you can yeah. have, I had a vision 10 years ago, but everything in due season, there's a time to weep, a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to sing, a time to, a time to mourn. I think mm-hmm. that right now is the time to reckon with the history of what's happening in our country. Um, and and uh, yeah, I tell people all the time, thank you, Donald Trump. For pulling the veil off of my eyes, because I'm thinking after, you know, we got we had a black president, but this stuff was steeped in it, it's still here. It's very much and so now the you know, the sentiment is that it's okay to come out. It's okay to, you know, stop your children from selling water. It's okay to talk to people in a demeaning way. So I'm grateful because now I know who my neighbor is. Mm-hmm. And so and with this conversation, the monument conversation 10 years ago, it was not happening on the level now that it is. Um mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. so you know we're here now and
2: i I really love this the engagement plan that you have with people all across the country um tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit more if they are interested and sending something you mentioned that people can get involved if they come down and want something welded and also how we can continue to
4: birth the story yeah absolutely well i you said you know send send something you can actually if it's something small that we can have grafted into the bodies of these women you know you may have something that your mother gave you that you may want to honor her right and so i tell you a prime example a woman sent me some buttons and she said these buttons are from the 18 from the 1800s will you consider putting them in the bodies of these women we have pennies that we're gonna have welded inside. yes. Yeah, so there's there's a whole, we have the actual stems retractor, the instruments that were used that he, yes, that will be welded in the bodies of these women. So yeah, if you could also come and help us weld her, we're gonna have classes here. And it's a form of healing, it's a form of a community, you know, to, to come together as women. We've gone through so much Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. a time for us to have conversations against the light skin and the dark skin and how we're going to kill that division amongst black and brown women, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we're just, it, you will get more information as time goes on, but we're hoping that women from around the country will come and lay down, take your shoes off, cry, get let, let this be a time for healing, but also creatively having these Courageous conversations about race in America. Yeah, yeah. And what our charge is to keep.
2: Mm, mm, mm. Speaking of our charge to keep, uh, right here in Race Capital, mm-hmm. we ask every guest that we invite on our platform, what is your privilege yeah. and how do you use it to dismantle the
4: myth and work of white supremacy? Yeah, my privilege is that I'm black and I'm a woman. And I'm a creative. I have three privileges, actually. I'm a Black creative woman that lives in the South. Mm -hmm. And I am using it to dismantle racism by encouraging people to wear, to take off their biases, especially in 95% of my tours are with white folk. Mm -hmm. And so I have the privilege of telling people like heads of Jamie Diamonds, we need to do something about allowing Black women and just people of color access to the table. Give me, show me how to fish and then let me fish. You understand? And so my privilege is to be able to stand before power and speak truth to it. Mm -hmm. Bottom line. And it's all because of uh, what has happened here in the South that I'm able to do that.
2: Right. I definitely cannot let you get out of here without also um, shouting out your tours, How can people find out more about your tours if they're coming down to Montgomery or, you know, even uh, what are you doing right now with COVID? How can people support?
4: Yes. So my number is 334-296-3024 and, or you can log online and find us. I I love a phone call. People are like, I called the lady the other day. She was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking to you. I was like, girl, let's get on this phone. I can't see you, but (laughs) we have virtual tours now. (laughs) We have virtual tours and we have a tour, a virtual tour of arca, Lucy and Betsy. So I would love for people to support the monument in that manner. Take a tour. Mm-hmm. You go online to org and take the tour. I'll send you a t-shirt in a box. It comes with, and with the tour comes this actual um, you get hidden gems of Montgomery. You get a piece of art, a shard of glass, some cotton and some glasses, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's one way that they could support it. And how, where is this website? Give it to them one more time. Okay, it's Anarcha, that's A-N-A-R-C-H-A, Anarcha Lucy Betsy, and that's dot org. And you should see a tour tab. And, or if you want to purchase a brick in honor of a loved one, you can do that as well, or buy a t-shirt. Um, but we encourage you to take the tour because also on this tour, you'll learn about my family, Aurelia Browder,
3: Mm. whom people
4: don't talk about. Uh, everyone knows Rosa, but very few people know of Aurelia Browder. And she was one of the heroines of the civil rights movement. You get a chance to learn a little bit more about her. And the tour is only 36 minutes, Mm -hmm. um, but it comes with a boatload of information and then hidden gems. Uh, of Montgomery that ties you into the fabric of who we are here.
2: What an amazing legacy that we have on our line right now with race capital, Michelle Browder. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us, telling us about Anarcha Lucy and Betsy, the monument that you are building at Montgomery. People can find out more at anarchalucybetsy.org. Find the information, the website and our episode description and you can continue to follow Michelle Browder at uh, where can people find you on social media, Michelle?
4: Uh, right now is at, I am more than, and the number one on Instagram.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, we do have an, an Arca Lucy Betsy Instagram that's coming up soon, but we're on Facebook more than tours too. Uh, you can also book your tours there if you like. So yeah, we're just Google the name and it pop up. But for the most part, our website is more than tours.us.
2: Okay, great. And look, Michelle said, Google me, okay. And you will find <laughs> the work. You will find how to find her and get you torn. <laughs> and uh, truly no, you are you are truly not hard to find at all um, on the interwebs not. or <laughs> or in person down at Montgomery. <laughs> Well, thank you so much again, Michelle. Um, Thank you so much for being here. And we hope to have you back on as the project continues.
4: Thank you so much. And thank you. Please let your listeners know that you're one of my doulas.
2: Yes. Oh, so
4: you're a support. So tell us what a doula is really quickly. So a doula, so, you know, during childbirth, Black women needed support. They needed midwives. They needed, so a doula is a support during childbirth. So Mm -hmm. I'm in, I'm, you know, I'm having a baby, we're having a baby, we're having triplets and I need support. I need someone to say, Michelle, you push, you keep going, even (laughs) though, you know what I'm saying? Girl, squat, squat, you know, back in in Africa, there's, you would sit and have the baby. Mm -hmm. In America, they make you lay down or, you know, put your back. So no, we need some doulas. We need some, some brothers and sisters that are say, yes, I'll sponsor a brick. Yes. I'll host you on my radio show. Yes. I'll tell my friends to take your tour or, you know, all of that is being a support and a help Mm. to birth this baby. And I'm, I'm looking for, for black folks and people of color to help us do this. You understand? So that that's what a do is. And that's what you've done for us today. So thank you so much, Chelsea. Thank you.
2: Absolutely. Well, Race Capital is excited to host this story on the platform, and myself as an individual is I'm more than honored and excited to be a doula. Are you looking for more doulas, or what? How how can other absolutely vote? and they can find yeah, out absolutely. more about that? We're
4: looking for yeah, we're looking for five thousand doulas. That's right, five thousand doulas, and we're asking people to buy a brick. We, Chelsea, can I just say this that we're really wanting to do this in a grassroots movement. Right? Because if it's grassroots, then I don't have to worry about putting somebody else's name Mm -hmm. on an anarchist space. You understand, like naming rights and, you know, oh, sure, I'll give you a million dollars if you just change this to the whatever arena or, you know, no, we want to be able to say this is for the people, these are for the women that have gone before us and for the ones today. We want Sabrina Fulton. We want the mothers to have a break, the mothers who have gone through uh, losing their children. And you know what I'm saying? So this is a way where people can get involved. And again, if you go to the website, you will see that you could be one in 5,000. I've got my glasses.
2: I've got my box. Yes! I've got my t You got your shirt. Uh huh. So it's a real deal. You can continue to follow yeah, really? Michelle and just and pop into our Gmail, racecapital at gmail.com, or any of our uh, social media platforms to find out how you can connect more with what Michelle is doing. Um, I'm excited to know all of that good information and yeah. really excited that you are back here on my platform. And Richmond, the fallen capital of the Confederacy, has had quite a year with monuments and yes quite a year and like you said that we we also chose not to spend thousands of dollars on monuments being taken down if we couldn't help it
0: Mm -hmm.
2: in fact we the people chose to just take them down at our own will and that's what we did. And it, it's been really exciting now to dream about what these spaces will look like, you know, and and that's what exactly mm-hmm. what you are doing now is, is allowing us to expand our imagination of how to tell other stories yes. in different and creative ways. And so that's, this mm-hmm. is really the ancestors bringing us together at the end of this year 2020. <laughs> One capital of the confederacy to another from do black women Mm -hmm. across the South doing this work. Uh, We thank you, Michelle. And we'll catch you next time on race capital. And that was our interview with Michelle Browder with I Am More Than out of Montgomery, Alabama. As we're thinking about our place and space of Richmond, Virginia, in a time where we're seeing the current disparities in public health outcomes with the COVID-19 crisis, it really brings into question the academic and medical institutions in Richmond, Virginia Columbus University, who will likely receive millions in grants and research funding over the next few years. We know that our institutions have a legacy of unethical testing on black and immigrant non-men dating back to slavery, including using forced sterilization and other violent testing tactics, even here at VCU and John Hopkins in Baltimore.
1: We recommend reading a book called Medical Apartheid by Harriet A. Washington, which discusses how the practice of medically experimenting on black people has been around since the inception of U.S. empire. It's been a particular practice that has plagued Black people and disabled people in the antebellum South. And if you look from the Tuskegee experiment to even forced sterilization, which had been happening in the South well into the late 1970s, you'll see that it's always been the most marginalized people being tied to these beds and operated on. In total, 7,325 individuals were sterilized in Virginia alone under sterilization law. Of those sterilized, about half were deemed mentally ill and the other half deemed mentally deficient. Approximately 62% of total individuals sterilized were assigned female at birth. During the time of sterilization, 22% of those sterilized were Black.
3: And this
0: is still happening in our country as ICE continues to perform forced sterilizations inside detention centers. Just a few weeks ago, our comrades from Richmond joined folks in D.C. protesting these acts of violence. As we bring to light the legacy of medical violence with stories like those of Arka, Lucy, and Betsy, realize that there is certainly a connection between the Black community's mistrust of medical research and Western medicine, and that it is a valid concern. We lift the names of Henrietta Lacks, Fanny Lou Hamer, and so many Black women, non-binary, and trans people who have come before us and experienced the violence of Western medicine and who have left a legacy of healing and survival. Ashe. And this has been Race Capital on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. Tune in next Wednesday at 10 a.m. for our next episode.
3: It's gonna be alright, cause it's been wrong for far too long, hey I said It's gonna be alright, cause it's been wrong for far too long, hey it's gonna be alright cause it's been wrong for far too long, far too long, far too long, far too long Hey, hey, hey. I said it's gonna be alright. Cause it's been wrong for far too long. Hey, I said it's gonna be alright. Cause it's been wrong for far too long. Hey, 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 it's gonna be all right. Cause it's been wrong for far too long. Far too long. Far too long. Far too long. hey, hey. hey.